Hello and welcome to In the Past. I'm your host Kelsey and each week we look at a person or event from history and delve into it. Please note while I strive greatly to source information from historical sources and accountable records, occasional mistakes may happen. This podcast is for entertainment. Today we are going to be talking about Eleanor of Aquitaine, who was one of the most fascinating women from medieval history. She was once the Queen of France, and then later became Queen of England. She gave birth to two famous English kings and held a strong grip on the politics of England. We do not know exactly when Eleanor was born, but we do know the year. It was 1122, and Eleanor was born to the 10th Duke of Aquitaine, William, and Aenor of Chateauleroux. Let's talk really quickly about the region of Aquitaine. It is a province in the southwest of France and has a long history of resisting foreign leadership, wanting to keep to itself and be governed by its own people. Charlemagne managed to take control of it in the 8th century, and it was given to his son Louis as a kingdom to rule upon his death. Louis then gave it to his son Pippin and his grandson Pippin II. By the 10th century, the Duchy of Aquitaine was controlled by the Count of Poitiers and remained so when Eleanor's father, William, became Count of Poitiers. Much isn't known about her mother, Aenor. Aenor's own mother had been branded an adulteress, and whether this is true or not has always been debatable. If it were true, then Aenor was wed to the son of her mother's lover. And Aenor had not been William's first pick for a wife. But, nonetheless, the couple had three children, Eleanor, Petronilla, and a son, William. Now, William, her father, was a very important man. He possessed the largest amount of land in France at the time. He owned more land than the King of France himself. The Duchy of Aquitaine was also wealthy due to their export of wine and salt. Feudalism was the status quo at this time in Europe. The idea of a strong nation-state did not yet exist, but rather a delicate system of hierarchy and alliances that either maintained peace or dictated war. France, or Gaul, had been under the control of Rome until its fall in the 5th century. The Merovingian and Carolingian kings had their moment for a time, until the Normans and the Saxons began to whittle away at their lands and authority, and it wasn't until the 11th century, barely a hundred years before Eleanor's birth, that the idea of France came into a more solid existence with the Compatian dynasty, turning our idea of a modern France into existence. In 1130, Eleanor's mother, Aenor, and her brother, and the heir, William, died. Eleanor herself grew up with a fine education. She learned Latin and Provençal, the language of Aquitaine itself. She was well-versed in literature and philosophy, and trained to understand the rules of court life. She was said to have been beautiful and energetic, intelligent, and headstrong. Eleanor's father died in April 1137 from drinking contaminated water. Upon his deathbed, William made Eleanor his heir, and he appointed King Louis VI as her guardian. He, he added that despite any marriage, Eleanor would retain her domain, and that they would remain independent and pass to her heirs, not to her husband. William did not want to see his land swallowed up by the French crown. With her father gone and unable to secure a marriage for her himself, Eleanor had to turn to the next best thing. Eleanor had to turn to King Louis VI as to who she should marry. He was, after all, her guardian. The same year that her father died, Louis VI of France secured Eleanor a marriage. That marriage was to his son, Prince Louis, the future King of France. 
So Eleanor traveled from Aquitaine to Bordeaux to meet her future husband, and she was escorted by five hundred of King Louis's men. Eleanor and Louis were married on July twenty-fifth, 1137. Eleanor was only fifteen, and as a gift to her new husband, Eleanor gave Louis a rock crystal vase. It is the only artifact that is tied to Eleanor that still exists, and it is on display at the Louvre in Paris. Only a matter of months, Eleanor's father-in-law, King Louis the Sixth, was dead, and her husband Louis was to be crowned king. The couple then traveled to Paris, the seat of France's monarchy. On Christmas Day, 1137, Louis was crowned King Louis the Seventh, and Eleanor was his queen. The marriage between Louis and Eleanor started off decently enough. They were vastly different people, though. Louis was pious and quite religious, and Eleanor struggled to adjust to her life in Paris. The palace on the Ile de la Cité was a far cry from what she was used to growing up. Almost immediately, Louis ordered that her apartments be expanded. He also had the latest in home design, fireplaces with a chimney built into the walls added to her room, and Eleanor ordered herself new tapestries to be made. Louis showed his devotion to his new wife by letting her have her, her way most of the time and giving her gifts. Her life was quickly settled into that of what was expected of her, to ornament her husband when necessary and to keep herself busy with womanly hobbies and to give him airs. This would prove to be trickier than she expected. Louis was not quick to jump into bed with his pretty new wife. Louis was a devout man and many saying he acted more like a monk than the king of France and the church held many rules for when conjugal visits were not appropriate. The list includes no love-making on Sundays, holy days, feast days, or during Lent, pregnancy, or menstruation. People believed that if these rules were broken, deformed children or lepers would be the result. Even within marriage, sex was reserved for procreation, not pleasure. So it's little wonder if Louis held fast to his religious beliefs with fervor, and behaved more like a monk as to why he and Eleanor would be slow to produce an heir. After seven long years of marriage, their first surviving infant was born. Their daughter Marie was born in 1145. In June 1147, Louis decided to leave for a crusade to the Holy Land. Eleanor was desperate to go, and she persuaded her husband to allow her and her ladies to accompany them. But they would travel separately, with Louis bringing up the rear and due to the spiritual nature of his crusade, Louis seemingly abstained from sleeping with his wife. But Louis's crusade was a disaster. Louis and his leaders argued about which way to take and searched for shortcuts, only to get lost. At one point, Louis was lost for three days while searching for one of these shortcuts, and he was feared dead. But supplies were diminishing. Men deserted the army all along the way. The journey to the Holy Land was fraught with Turkish raiding parties, and Eleanor and her ladies were forced to travel in, hor in horse-drawn litters with leather curtains for their safety. At night they were sheltered by tents, while the army was forced to sleep in the elements. As they went to pass through the mountains, a Turkish raiding party was waiting for them. They carefully waited as Eleanor and her party passed through first, and only attacked when the main army came through. They swooped in and began destroying what was left of the men, Louis's own horse was killed beneath them. But Louis pressed on, and he... And he made the decision to, to continue the rest of their journey by ship. They made their way to the port of Atalia in an attempt to find passage to Antioch. They waited in Italia for five weeks, 
During those five weeks, Louis's ragged and filthy army waited and waited. The journey by ship was only three days, as opposed to a 40-day march by foot. But the cost of the voyage would come at the price of four silver marks per passenger, a price that Louis was hesitant to pay. Because of this, Louis put his foot down and decided that they would instead follow the route of their fathers and go by foot. He would be forced to hire the ships, though, when plague broke out and his men began dropping like flies. It was decided to hire the ships, but any man who wished to join them must pay their own way. As a result, 7,000 men stayed behind to either starve or die of the plague. Many of the men that left the army and decided to stay adopted the culture and remained in Turkey for the rest of their lives. But the three-day voyage turned into a three-week one. Once Louis, Eleanor, and the army reached Constantinople, the first half of the crusade went well. Once in Constantinople, Louis and the army encountered terrible weather. A terrible rainstorm lasting about four days washed away tents, supplies, a but Louis decided to continue by foot. So they went inland towards the mountains. They did not have any guides as they were desperate to reach Antioch. But they were met with rugged terrain and bad roads. Continuing through the mountains, continually harassed by Turkish raiders. One evening in mid-January, Louis ordered the main army set up camp, and Eleanor was sent with them. When they reached the camp that Louis had ordered them to, it was empty. The queen and her entourage then decided to move to a more better-looking spot down in the valley. So Eleanor and her entourage went down into the valley, and the army left behind her, they created a large gap. So Turkish raiding parties saw this happening and decided to take advantage of the separation between the main army and the army that was still behind uh, up in the mountains. As Eleanor was in the valley, the Turkish raiding party swooped in and began destroying what was left of their men. Louis's own horse was killed beneath him, and Louis himself barely escaped unharmed. They raided supplies and took off with most of the women's belongings because Eleanor, Eleanor's baggage was in the back of this caravan. The Turks were estimated to have killed 7,000 men. Their food was now so scarce, so scarce that they had begun to kill their horses and eat them. From this, Louis decided that they would instead travel by boat. They returned back to the coast and decided, and Louis decided to continue by ship. They made their way to the port of Italia, and in an attempt to find passage to Antioch, they waited in Italia for five weeks. And during those five weeks, Louis's ragged and filthy army waited and waited. The journey by ship would only take three days, as opposed to a 40-day march. But the cost of the voyage would come at a price of four silver marks per passenger, a price Louis was hesitant to pay. His army was starving, and plague broke out in the camp. Louis put his foot down and said that they would follow the route of their fathers and go by foot. He would be forced to hire the ships, though, when plague broke out and his men began dropping like flies. It was decided to hire the ships, but any man who wished to join them had to pay their own way. Many abandoned the army, and about 3,000 of the crusaders converted to Islam in exchange for their lives to escape death from starvation or the plague.
but Louis and Eleanor and the rest of the army continued on and arrived by ship in Antioch. Antioch happened to be ruled by Raymond of Poitiers, who was, who was the younger brother of the Duke of Aquitaine, and therefore Eleanor's uncle. Nasty rumors began to spread about Eleanor and her uncle, as they spent a great deal of time together, got on well together. They spent much time together, and Eleanor and Raymond even were able to communicate in a language that Louis probably didn't understand. It was the Languedoc. Um, but Louis became very jealous and suspicious of them. And Louis accused her of not taking her marriage vows seriously and behaving beneath her status. Not only that, but because of the warm relationship between Raymond and Eleanor, Louis and Raymond disagreed on how to continue the crusade, and Eleanor often sided with her uncle. And this led to a heated argument between the couple. Louis threatened to send her back home. She wasn't behaving like a queen should, and she wasn't behaving like a wife should. Eleanor, in turn, threw the idea of an annulment in his face. She said that their close, close relations was the cause that they had no male heir, and both of their souls were in danger, and she worried for them. But despite their rocky marriage, Eleanor, Louis did love Eleanor. He did agree to consider an annulment, if the French nobility would allow it. But Louis also made Eleanor join him. Eleanor wanted to remain in Antioch with her uncle, but Louis forced her to accompany him to onwards to Jerusalem. By May 1148, they had reached the walls of Jerusalem. Eleanor remained quiet and still suffered a bit of humiliation from the argument that had happened in Antioch. There was no sources or information on what Eleanor did or was doing during this time in Jerusalem. Um, so it's, it's likely that she was either purposely ignored or she kept a low profile and didn't want to cause any uh, ripples. Louis suffered a humiliating failure outside the city of Damascus. And with that, the crusade was at an end. Louis and Eleanor would return back to France. They sailed back to France, but at one point, Eleanor's ship was off course. And for months, Louis had no idea where Eleanor was or if she was even still alive. By 1149, they were back in France. Louis's advisors pressed him to keep trying in his marriage. It seemed like an attempt was made and some reconciliation must have been reached because a year after their return to France, Eleanor gave birth to their second child in the summer of 1150. But it was a daughter, and her name was Alice. The fact that Eleanor and Louis only had two daughters with 12 years of marriage under their belt was extremely discouraging to Louis. He needed a son. Again, the idea of a divorce came up with the birth of their second daughter. Less than two years after the birth of their second daughter, Alice, on March 21st, 1152, Eleanor and Louis's marriage was annulled on the grounds that they were third cousins. The truth of the matter, however, was that Louis had not given Eleanor. Eleanor had not given Louis a son. 
and heir to the French throne in all their years of marriage. And that was a hefty problem. Upon their annulment, Eleanor had to leave her two daughters, Marie and Alice, and in her husband's custody. While I am sure Eleanor loved her daughters, she did not seem to play an active role in raising them. This was nothing new, though. She was a queen, so her babies would have been given to a wet nurse to provide nourishment, and a governess would have been there to tend to their every need. As the wife of a king, Eleanor would have needed to be ready and available for her husband, and to give him as many heirs as possible. In any case, Eleanor said goodbye to her daughters and returned to Aquitaine. Per her father's will, Eleanor received all of her land back upon her annulment from Louis. This was a great arrangement for Eleanor, but it did leave her extremely vulnerable. Eleanor's lands made her wealthy and powerful, but she was a target. For example, if someone decided to kidnap her and forced her into a marriage, she would lose those lands to her husband. This scenario almost became a reality when Joffrey of Anjou made the attempt to kidnap her shortly after her marriage was annulled. Because of this threat, she decided that she had to remarry quickly. She sent word to a man named Henry, Count of Anjou and Duke of Normandy, who also happened to be her attempted kidnapper's older brother. It's disputed whether she suggested the marriage herself or if Henry was the one to pursue the marriage. And that is where we're going to wrap it up for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed part one of the Eleanor of Aquitaine miniseries, and I will be back next week with part two. Let me know what you think. I'm always open to topic suggestions for future episodes. We are on social media, and you can find us at Pod in the Past on Instagram. As always, take care. Bye.